You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Stories that are unsolved are terrible. There is absolutely no denying it. As we have said many times in the past on our show, we wonder how people can possibly live with themselves when they take a life. On October 10th of 2008, that is precisely what happened. A young man, 18 years of age, was walking home on a country road when he was struck by a vehicle and left for dead on the side of the road. It took 14 years for arrests to be made in this case, but currently it looks like there may be light at the end of a long tunnel for the family, at least in terms of answers. This week we cover what happened in 2008, what happened in between, and what is currently happening now within the case. Hello, and welcome to episode 60 of Gone But Never Forgotten, another historical case solved, the story of Lucas Shortreed. and welcome back to GBNF. We hope that if you are listening in real time that you and yours had a wonderful holiday season and that blessings abounded for everyone involved in your life. This week we're covering another one of those cases that hopefully is nearing its end and the closure of something that happened a long time ago. As we all know, these are Julie's favorite cases, when there is a resolution or we are near resolution after a long time. This week, though, I am flying solo because the holidays have our family running about eight different directions. We do love these cases, of course, because we like to see someone face the music for what they have done in the past, regardless of how long it has been. And also, I think that any time a case like this is in the news, it shows anyone who's suffering without answers, like in episode 58 on Sonia Varashin, it can give them renewed hope that perhaps the closure that they seek can still be found. I think also of the case of Barry and Honey Sherman, which we covered in episode 13. Those murders just passed their five-year anniversary on December 13th, 2022. There is a lot of money as a reward in that case. One has to believe that somebody is going to come forward and let that family know what happened. But, for this week, let's dive right into this case and talk about a young man whose life was taken way, way too soon. Lucas Shortreed was your atypical 18-year-old boy. He liked to fish, and he liked to drink. 
His friends remember him as a young man who had quite a few close friends. He has been remembered as outgoing, social, and fun to be around. He had a penchant for making everyone around him laugh, and he too loved to laugh. Friends have said that he had so much going for him in his life, and that he could have done anything that he set his mind to. He, and the world around him, missed out on a lot. On October 10th, 2008, Lucas was at a party with a bunch of his friends, and as it got close to midnight, a bunch of them decided that it was time to go home. What makes the story even more heartbreaking is that friends of Lucas had a ride arranged for him to get home. Lucas apparently got mad about something, though, and said that he was going to walk home from the party and walk off his anger and his buzz. I can only imagine how much more heartbreaking that must have been for anyone that knew Lucas. Knowing that if he had taken that ride, everything likely would have been different than it was and is. That is a hard one for anyone to live with. When I found that out, it was absolutely heart-wrenching. But I think we've all been there before, where we're either the person refusing the ride or the person whose ride was refused. The fact of the matter is that nobody can blame themselves in that situation, as hard as that is, I am sure. We're all given the opportunity to make our own life decisions. And that is exactly what Lucas did. The aforementioned party was in Alma, Ontario, a small town that is located north of Alora. The area is certainly rural, with not much around other than farmland for as far as the eye can see. Lucas lived in Fergus, Ontario, which was quite the hike, 14 kilometers to be exact. The walk that he embarked on would likely have seen him walk along Wellington Road 17 and then turn and walk along Highway 6 for the bulk of his walk. The walk would likely have taken him nearly three hours, but depending how much he had been drinking, it could have taken even longer. Around midnight on October 10th, 2008, it was approximately 10 degrees Celsius, and the skies were clear. So while it was a little bit cold, there doesn't seem to have been any other weather taking place at the time. Unfortunately, Lucas was not going to make it home that night. It's believed that just after midnight, a vehicle that was also traveling along Highway 17 towards Highway 6 would strike Lucas on the way by. Obviously, nobody knows if that vehicle even stopped after the impact, but police said that judging by the force that Lucas was hit with, there is no way that the occupants inside the vehicle would not have known that they had hit something or someone. Regardless of whether the vehicle stopped at all, nobody made a call for help, and the vehicle continued along its drive, and Lucas died right there on the side of Highway 17. Approximately 20 minutes after Lucas was struck and killed by the vehicle, another passing motorist would notice Lucas and call 911 for help. However, sadly it was too late for Lucas, and he was pronounced dead at the scene. Police said that on top of the fact that anyone inside of the vehicle would know that they had hit something, there would also have been a significant amount of damage done to the vehicle. 
They based that on the state that they found Lucas in, but also on the debris that was left at the scene of the accident. They said that there would have been damage to the windshield, the right passenger window, and that the right side of the fender would have likely have been completely destroyed. Lucas was not a small young man. He weighed approximately 230 pounds, so the damage would have certainly been significant. The police were able to determine where the damage would have been on the car based on the glass and debris that was left at the scene of the accident. The roads would likely have been busy, even at the late hour, because it was Thanksgiving weekend and Oktoberfest was also taking place in nearby Kitchener, Ontario. However, Wellington Road 17 was certainly not a common road for traffic to be taking, so there didn't seem to have been any witnesses to the accident at all. Police did get a bit of a break when forensics were able to determine that the vehicle involved was likely a Dodge Neon, most likely a model between the years of 1995 and 1997. The unfortunate thing, like we covered in the Bruce MacArthur case, is that when you have a common make and model of a car, there are usually are a lot of that car on the road. At the time, there were 8,000 white Dodge Neons that were registered just within Ontario. Police, though, worked hard to try to either narrow down that list or find the vehicle in question. Investigators went from house to house, searching a radius of well over 100 kilometers from Wellington County, where the accident took place. They were looking for the damaged vehicle or anyone that recalled seeing a damaged car. Unfortunately, all of that searching did not help police to locate the vehicle or find any answers in the case. About two weeks later, the police went to the news in hopes that someone that was involved or someone who knew who was involved would see the report. They also reenacted the accident, showing a car similar to the one that they believed was involved in the fail to remain. However, nothing still came in the case. Police even said on the news that they would understand why someone would flee the scene of an accident such as this. Sadly, it's not an uncommon reaction, but more than anything, they were hoping that they could, at the very least, provide some sort of closure to the family. As time went on, though, police realized that this case was going to be very difficult to crack. It was becoming increasingly obvious that not only were the people that killed Lucas aware that they had hit someone, but they likely had taken immediate steps after doing so. They weren't sure if that meant that there was a quick paint job or quick repairs, or if the car was hidden in reaction to the news report, but the car itself had seemed to have completely vanished. Even though the car theoretically could have been from anywhere, they were of the belief that the vehicle belonged to someone that lived in the vicinity of the accident. They came to that conclusion because of the road that the accident had occurred on, and also because they believed that the vehicle would have been in too rough of condition to make it too far after hitting Lucas. Without any witnesses, and without any evidence that could help the police, unfortunately things went quiet on this case for a long time to come. In 2013, five years after Lucas was killed, 
his family made fresh appeals to the public for information regarding what happened on that fateful day. The cry for help from the family was very clear. They were looking for two things. One, closure and justice for their lost son. And two, to ensure that the person that was responsible for his death was no longer on the road driving. It was again reiterated to the public that there was a $50,000 reward for any information that led to an arrest and conviction in the case. Ten years after Lucas was killed, things seemed to be at a standstill. Police said that they had not closed this case and were still following up on tips and trying to find answers. Scott Lawson, who was the lead on the case for the Wellington County OPP, said, quote, This is the kind of case that you work, and you work, and you work. You don't close the book on it, unquote. This is certainly the time in the investigation of a case where I am sure that the family feels helpless and hopeless. Ten years later, and they still were seemingly no closer to knowing who was responsible for the death of Lucas. However, this is one of those cases that we can point to when we tell people that we're going through this kind of experience and tell them not to give up hope. Answers can always be found. On the morning of September 21, 2022, Police executed a search warrant on Side Road 21 in Mapleton, and they took two residents of Arthur, Ontario, into custody. One was a 55-year-old male named David Alexander Halliburton, who was charged with fail to stop at the scene of an accident causing bodily harm or death and obstruction of justice. And the second was a 53-year-old female named Anastasia Marie Halliburton, who was charged with accessory after the fact to commit an indictable offense and obstruction of justice. What is crazy is that after 14 years, the police found the vehicle stored on their property that had hit and killed Lucas. It's absolutely crazy to think that they have kept this vehicle for all of these years. I don't pretend to know but I would say that my best guess would be that maybe they didn't want to get rid of the car because anywhere that they took it would have raised alarm bells. I mean, police seem to still be keeping an eye on this case, so perhaps they were watching for any and all vehicles that fit their description. But yes, it, it's still very crazy to me that the police searched the property and there it was all these years later. The family is obviously having mixed reactions after all of these years, but one of the messages that Judy Moore, Lucas's mom, wants out there is that it is not lost on her, nor should it be lost on anyone, that Lucas also bears some blame in this case. After the arrest, she said, quote, I want it out there. This is partly Lucas's fault, unquote. She said that Lucas should not have left the party to walk down a county road while he was inebriated. That's a very strong character, that's for sure. After all of these years, she still says something strong like that because she knows that Lucas had to make decisions to be where he was. But, of course, that does not absolve any of the blame for David and Anastasia. For all of these years, they knew what they did. 
They lived very close to the location that Lucas was killed. They even kept the car that killed him on their own property. To me, that's absolutely disgusting. I don't know how you live with that on your conscience or on your property. David and Anastasia would appear in court a day later and be released on bail and then would have their court case moved from October to December 6th of this year. As we write this episode, that was 11 days ago, but there is no information on what happened in this case, and when we hear more, we will do an update episode for you. But, there you have it. For now, the family never gave up. The police never gave up. And eventually, information came out that seems to be bringing closure to this case. Obviously, until news breaks, this is all still alleged and yet to be proven in a court of law, but it certainly seems headed down that road. So, to the family of Lucas Shortreed, we hope that this brings some level of closure to you and that you can find a measure of healing. For everyone else, we want to say thank you again for listening to us here at Gone But Never Forgotten. Please don't forget to sign up and support the show over on Patreon to check out my reaction to this case and our reaction to each case that we have done since episode 51. There certainly is some great uncut and uncensored conversation over there each and every week. We hope that you and yours are having the happiest of holidays. See you next time.